Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Minds podcast, where we demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the fitness and exercise community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what will be, I imagine, the first episode of the actual My Own Minds podcast, rather than the My Own Minds interview slash video. Um, so welcome, if you're the, this is your first time listening to the actual podcast. I'm excited it's going to be a podcast. is isn't currently whilst we're recording this, but it will be in the future. Um, and today I am here with Rob. Hi, Rob, how are you? Hi, George. I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me for the first podcast episode. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, it's a big moment. It's a big moment. <laughs> um, so I, I know Rob uh, through, we've kind of, we've worked together um, on a project uh, with First Steps. But before I kind of go into anything else, uh, Rob, can you just introduce yourself to the people listening? Um, and can you kind of start off, yeah, just by like explaining what it is you do for a living and your actual experience working within mental health? Uh, yeah, of course. So, um, hello everyone. I, I'm a qualified integrative psychotherapist, I guess, kind of by background, really. Um, currently, uh, for a living, I'm working with uh, an eating disorder charity uh, based in Derbyshire called uh, First Steps. Um, in that I run the eating eating excuse me disorders in student services um I suppose branch of it where we provide um eating disorder and mental health support to students and staff at kind of like a number of different education establishments um also as well in sort of you know using my uh, psychotherapist backing as well I do also manage my own um actual private psychotherapy practice it's called Rob Smith psychotherapy really imaginative name um, which is based in Derby, where I provide um, kind of like unlimited long-term support for just kind of like all aspects of mental health in general. Um, and I suppose sort of how long I've been working in mental health, it's been in sort of one capacity or another. It's been for about sort of four years, um, you know, previously before I started working with First Steps or even started my uh, psychotherapist training. I used to volunteer for the Samaritans as well. Um, so kind of like about four years really off, on and off, I suppose, in general. Yeah, so you've had a you've had a lot like a long time experience within mental health, and also um, you have you have a is it masters that you've studied to? Is that right? Yes, I. It was actually just a couple of months ago I finished my MSc in integrative counselling and psychotherapy. Oh, congrats! Congrats! Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so kind of th thank you again, Rob, for for coming for this interview. Um, to kick things off, um, I know that you have had a lot of training or kind of you got experience in childhood and and past trauma um can you give us an explanation of the kind of general theory of how it causes a long-term effect um and is there a difference between childhood trauma and and actual recent trauma yes that's an incredibly big question so yes, I'll, I'll be i'm trying to be as brief as i can with this one but um yeah, so one of the modalities that I am trained in for my um, as a psychotherapist is um, what's known as like an attachment modality. So we, it's working with kind of like the entire lifespan of the span of the individual and how that kind of feeds into what is going on for them in the present. Um, so in terms of kind of like you know like long term struggles, I suppose um, I I have a particular interest around uh, trauma. Um, and when talking about that, I guess I, I distinguish between um, trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder straight off the bat. Um, so trauma is kind of what is uh, what is considered to be an experience. It's kind of like more short term um, 
and post-traumatic stress disorder or you know PTSD um, is usually related to something like a long-term outcome from a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events. Oh, okay, um, I didn't realise yeah. there was that distinguishing that distinguishing between the two. I didn't realise that was a thing. Oh yeah, no, there, there's actually um, there's quite a whole myriad of, of different titles, I suppose. You know, you've got it's it's distinguished between things like stress, post-traumatic stress, um, traumatic stress, and P. PTSD, but I'm, I mean, I'm just going to speak in general here because if we start going down those rabbit holes, we'll be here forever. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Um, it's uh, it basically is um, the, the sort of the ma- major one is PTSD. It's kind of like the the upper end of the spectrum, so to speak. Um, and the from like a, a psychological point of view, it, it basically just means um, it's an increased arousal in your automatic nervous system. So I, I go, I'm going to explain what that means in sort of in a, in a second here. But when, when you sort of talk about trauma, the main thing you do kind of talk about here is kind of like survival. So a lot of like trauma theory and things like that is paralleled with evolution, our survival mechanisms as human beings. So when, when I'm talking about this, it's going to be quite an evolutionary perspective. So I'm appreciating that actually might differ from other people's beliefs. So I did just want to pay respect to that to anybody listening here, because this is a bit of a one-sided argument I appreciate. Um, but when we sort of talk about like trauma, for example, it, it's, it's kind of a response to a significant situation that we perceive as threatening. Um, so, you know, it won't, once we kind of re- perceive this, we go into, as I'm, I'm sure you've probably already, um, heard before, like your fight or flight kind of instinct, um, at, at basic, this is just like a chemical reaction. It, it's a point where we make decision on how well we respond and our brain releases the right sort of concoction of, of stuff um, that, that allows us to respond in a good way. So, you know, things like adrenaline, that sort of thing. Um, but there's sort of a, a third, perhaps less commonly known, but I, I think a lot of people do know, which is a, almost kind of like a freeze response. So this happens when we kind of run out of options. Um, but it, it's quite a, an, I guess, interesting response, if that's the right way to to say it, um, that actually it just goes beyond by staying still. It's more than just kind of like freezing and, and being paralyzed almost. Um, when we experience a traumatic event and we run out of, you know, if we try to fight or we try to run away and neither of those work, we, we go into this free state, which um, some people kind of describe as more like an altered reality. So if we're being kind of like threatened or, or just experiencing this event, um, you know, people have experienced kind of like time slowing down. Um, they also mentioned things like have an out of body experience, um, almost dissociating from their themselves. Um, but it also as well, like reduces pain. Our experience of pain is significantly dulled. Mm. Um, so it, it, it basically is designed to once you basically you, you realize that this event is happening, your body's almost taking over and going, right, okay, I'm gonna just make this as, as bearable as physically possible for you, and yeah. we're just kind of gonna get you through this. Um so that's kind of one thing that I, I really like to related to this. I try to tell people is, um, you know, I suppose anybody listening, I, I appreciate you know, a lot of people out there that might have had their own experiences in this. And there's a lot of people that will actually experience significant guilt for doing this. I've, I've had sort of people I've supported that have expressed this, that, you know, I didn't do anything, you know, should I have done something about this or did I on some level kind of want this to have happened? Um, and I kind of hope one thing to take away from this is that actually this is coming from what I said about your automatic nervous system earlier. This is a part of your nervous system that just kind of instinctively reacts. Um, yeah. And it was 
it's just an instinctive reaction to to protect your you basically the the um I, I, to liken it to something else you have just as much control over that as your own heartbeat you, it's it's impossible to think your way into stopping your heartbeat and it's it's possible to think your way into stopping this yeah so it's, it's not it's, it's not something good. it's not something you can blame yourself for is it because it's a it's a phys, it's physiological reaction rather than a a decision Absolutely, yeah. That you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I'm, I'm sort of, sort of hoping to portray here. Is that yeah? I, I appreciate self blame and guilt is is a factor here, and I'm not saying these words are just going to get get rid of that for people, but yeah, it, it is just something you physically cannot control. There's nothing you can do about this, and and that's okay. It, it, it's it's what you're doing to protect yourself, basically, and you you can't be blamed for that. Mm. Um, so kind of once this has happened and once the event has passed we've now got almost kind of like a remembered threat and th this is the bit where it gets a little bit difficult to explain okay. so I'm, I'm slightly going to sidetrack and loop it back around so if I appear to be going off topic there is a very good point for this I'm not just kind of waffling but That's fine. Uh, um, another part of our kind of development as humans is our brains are quite similar to computers so in the sense that kind of we're like a complicated map of different neurons and our unique experiences create connections between these which lead to kind of certain reactions in us um so bringing it sort of to make it relevant this is where that distinction that you mentioned between sort of like long and short term events um you know like trauma can can come in so if you sort of see these lines or what's kind of known as cognitive pathways these connections between your neurons is kind of I like run your finger through like sand you know you, you create almost like a little bit of a groove and and like the more you do it over the same path the the deeper this becomes and the harder it is for you to be able to kind of like change direction you almost kind of automatically run a groove okay so if you kind of relate this to actually your thought pattern um this this can be related to sort of any response so for example something is quite simplistic but it like the thought of al using alcohol will help to dull my emotional pain the more often we sort of do that, the more often we go to that, um, I suppose, coping strategy or, or that reaction, it almost becomes like a natural response eventually that we don't have to think about. It's just kind okay. of running itself. So, um, so let me just check. I understand this. So, so basically, okay. basically, the more the more often you you do turn to something, or the more often you do something, the more likely it is then you're going to redo it. Is that the idea? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it, it becomes a. We, we almost automatically just start start exhibiting that behavior or that response or whatever it is it, it just you you literally you've, you've just got a, a thicker or a, a stronger connection between those two points in your mind if that makes sense yeah interesting i'm i'm probably i mean this is like like i said i could go on for hours about this so i'm, I'm appreciate this is kind of a bit of a simplistic way of explaining it and it, it might not be capturing the entire image i'm trying to sort of keep it as related to the the, the trauma aspect as possible but yeah yeah um i imagine i imagine to, the brain is quite a difficult topic to <laughs> encompass into a, a short podcast so i'll let you off <laughs> it's yeah it's impossible to say it short quickly it's like yeah. i wish there was like a short snappy response I, I could give to this but it just as far as i'm aware it doesn't exist oh it's very interesting <laughs> so yeah sorry continue sorry for no 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 that's okay glad, glad to hear we're kind of on the right <laughs> on the right track so i'll, I'll kind of refocus anyway that when you, when you sort of bring this back to tra trauma, you, you have a, um, a learnt incident. So you, th this pathway has been created, essentially, the fact that this can happen, you've gone from one point to another. So in a one-off incident, if, if you just experience one traumatic event, as, as much as that would be terrible, I don't want to simplify this by any means, but 
um, it, it will be a, a deeply distressing event for somebody, but with the right support, it, it's a less embedded cognitive pathway and therefore recovery is theoretically easier. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking completely theory here. I appreciate practical, the practical aspects of this are, are, are completely different. So, you know, there is a distinction to make there. But um, the kind of the issue when we have experienced this traumatic event then is in the aftermath where we have learned a lesson, essentially. It's not a good lesson, but it's a lesson that we've learned. And that is that this event, whatever it was, can happen has happened but also kind of the most important thing is that there, there is nothing that we were able to do to prevent it so it's mm -hmm. almost that kind of helplessness that this has ha this has i i know this will happen it, it's not theoretical anymore it's happened to me and i could do nothing about it and that is an incredibly scary thing for people to to be faced with mm. um so part of what kind of makes this a struggle for people is that whilst you know along with this kind of freeze response and the fight and the flight um activating this kind of response in us suppresses our um hippocampus it suppresses a part of our brain which is responsible for providing like context to our memories so it, it, in, in short they give them like a beginning a middle and end it kind of places them in our own personal timeline um and it's essentially you know the, the bit of our brain that says right that's finished now we we're gonna we're gonna move on mm. um but because this process has been kind of restricted uh we're, we're left with this concept that the event hasn't ended so that that's where um things like the the responses to trauma such as flashbacks nightmares you know disassociation even still happens for people is because they're constantly reliving this event the threat is still real and ever present for them yeah so I, I I can I mean personally myself I'm very lucky to have never experienced one of these events. So I'm talking purely from like a having sort of read a book and and read books and heard heard from my you know clients that I've spoken to and things like that. But um, I, I can only imagine that being an incredibly terrifying experience to sort of not really have everything that you need to be able to know that's never going to happen again. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's actually um, interesting. So I'm going to butt in slightly here, but it's it's go for it. I'm, I'm thinking I'm kind of interested on your your opinion on this but um i i've studied muscle dysmorphia to a decent degree anyway during with, within my um master's dissertation and one yes. of, i was i know we're going to talk more on kind of exercise stuff but i just wanted just to mention this and one one of the it. one of the factors that has been found in in muscle dysmorphia people who have been diagnosed with muscle dysmorphia so that's like what people wanting like having like an a subconscious urge to need to be more muscular and, and they feel like they're not muscular one of the very mm -hmm. common correlations i guess or like a, something that is often happened to those people is things like sexual assault and things like that um and mm. and often um childhood there's like a childhood tendency of being like skinny and possibly being i think it said that, i think the study i'm thinking of said that being bullied for being thin or being skinny so that could mm. almost that those kinds of traumas of, of you know like un on you know especially in like the sex you know kind of sexual assault that often maybe the fact that they felt they weren't big enough or strong enough to stop it from happening and obviously i'm not blaming they, they should never blame themselves like we said but you know that that may be the thing that leads to it is that would you think that would be the that could be obviously it's very individual but do you think that could possibly be one of the reasons yeah i definitely agree with you i, I mean you, you are right it, it's a unique in you know individual situation for people but it it can be about trying to protect yourself yeah it's a response i'm, I'm trying to 
you know do this so when I can put myself in a better situation physically to protect myself in future um it's it sort of a, a, I'll probably come on to this a little bit later because I, I sort of I, I know the schedule of the questions but yeah. um you know the uh it can sometimes be about almost in in the case of sexual assault as well it's almost reclaiming the body it, you know that in in being the, the victim of sexual assault there's an ownership of one's body that we kind of lose well not we because I've not had that experience but those people that do experience it lose it's almost like they don't own their body anymore because someone has taken that from them um and by you know changing it in whatever way so be that through muscle gain or, or weight management or you know any anything related to uh, your body image around eating disorders can almost be a way of having something physical about yourself that you can still control if that makes sense yeah okay yeah that um so yeah i I'd, i suppose in, in short I'd, I'd absolutely agree with with that point that it can be a big thing i mean there's many other other possibilities as well of course but yeah, yeah. It, that's definitely a very strong theme okay um yeah sorry um i butted in again but yeah sorry carry on with that. <laughs> you, uh... no that's that's okay do do but in i appreciate this is it's something i i'm i'm i find quite fascinating so i tend to get off on one on it so yeah if you, if you feel there's that, anything that's, I can my, answer, that's yeah. my issue as well and I, everyone who's <laughs> listened to any of these these podcasts slash interviews before will know that i tend to i get excited and i just go wait is this a thing and then so I'll, I'll reel back in now. Oh <laughs> uh, no, fair play, go for it if you want to. Though that, that's all cool. But um, yeah, it was just sort of when you were mentioning about childhood as well. I um, I wanted to link that in, so that kind of almost adds a further complication. It's like another spanner in the works, um, so to speak. Where, that when we get born, that kind of mental pattern of neurons that I mentioned earlier is is existing as a blank canvas. So it, it's kind of, this is where the computer analogy comes back in. It, it's almost like we get programmed essentially. So like through our early years, we develop these cognitive processes based on the experiences we experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, and this is where that attachment theory comes in, which is that we here we learn what other humans are like. We kind of build assumptions on how to react to them, and we we develop those social and and sort of loving relationships, um, or at least a model of how they should look. So on one side, you can have someone with a really secure and loving upbringing. They'll identify people as trustworthy, uh, with that potential to experience love, and, and they'll happily involve themselves in society and people quite quite trustingly. Whereas on the other hand, someone who does experience traumatic events in childhood, when the, these sort of cognitive pathways, or actually, to be fair, simply put, it, it's kind of like your first impression of humanity is still being developed. They, they can develop this sort of internal working model where the world is quite a threatening place and other people have the potential to be threatening. This is, this is particularly poignant when it's like the parents that are causing the abuse or uh, a, a close um, kind of attachment figure, I suppose, to use a technical term, is the person that's perpetrating whatever is going on mm -hmm. um so if you sort of couple this with everything i've just previously mentioned plus the mistrust of others the potential like avoidant attachment styles and and this desire to almost withdraw from the world because it's a dangerous place mm. i i almost I, I suppose from my perspective on it i almost am not surprised that people do struggle significantly with this because it's an awful lot to yeah. to kind of overcome if if that makes sense yeah, definitely. It's a it's a big kind of concoction of things to to deal to have to deal with, and yeah, you know, it's. I think, I think, I think if pe people listening possibly who, who are who have are currently struggling and have been through some kind of traumatic response, I hope I hope you kind of hear these these words and realize that you know you can't you can't really can't beat yourself up for 
you know this you know, these kind of responses and, and struggling a bit um i think it's it's very normal and it's like i um with it my childhood was it was quite a difficult one and i think that's something that led to um, led to my kind of issues that i've had in the past i've had multiple eating disorders and kind of compulsive behaviors and things um and yeah i think i think it was a big contributor for for my personal experience as well so yeah i th- I, I, th- I think these this conversation is great um i think i'd hoping people is kind of landing on the right ears wow oh, that's great to hear george and i mean for at risk of <laughs> risk of reversing the polarity in this interview that i would you would you sort of agree this kind of fits with your personal experience I, i'm not trying to trying to dig to you here I'm, I'm just appreciating that you you're mentioning personal experience there and i'm talking theoretically here and i want to make sure this is yeah well no yeah matching. i um i'm definitely agreeing with what you're saying and honestly i actually whilst you were um because i'd never really heard the the childhood trauma perspective of like you know the the lack of trust in people and stuff um and for, mm-hmm. for me personally pe- people who have read my story will know about this but basically when i was a kid my dad was a alcoholic um, and it meant I had I had like kind of multiple kind of difficult situations when I was a kid that um, I've had to deal with since, and I, I have done now to a, to a point anyway. I'm, I don't think I'm 100, but I'm getting there. Um, and yeah, I think the the kind of the lack of trusting in people and um, is definitely something that I've I've had to deal with. Um, and I I saw a counselor and he helped me a lot. But yeah, it's that is something that has has had a knock on effect of me, and I think is is something that contributed to my disordered eating and my kind of addictive compulsive behaviours. Um, which is why I'm very interested in hearing the theory about it more. Um, which, if 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 you don't mind, it may may kind of lead me on to the second question, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, so as I just said, like my personal experiences with disordered eating, with addictive compulsive behaviors, especially within the kind of exercise gym environment. And obviously this is my mind. So we're kind of focusing on the exercise stuff. Uh, two of the very common things in within, um, exercise and within, um, compulsive, um, sorry, within exercise is disordered eating and compulsive behaviors specifically with disordered eating. Um, how can past trauma cause these issues possibly um in in kind of the theoretical opinion so again big question but i i guess usually it comes down to this kind of concept of control is a main theme now i'm not i'm not trying to say this is the be all and end all it's just a big theme in it that again there are the other unique um sort of aspects to this but you tend to sort of find that eating disorders are often kind of like the it's so cliche to say but it's like the tip of the iceberg so there, there can be a complex mix of different elements going on behind it but the eating disorder is is maybe all that you see sort of presenting at the front if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so specifically regarding kind of like traumatic events it's often down to perhaps some of those feelings of insecurity with the world um you know there was the sort of the concept of controlling weights can become the only coping strategy that they they have so it's like i was saying earlier in a, a lot of incidences with things like sexual assault for example um it can be about like reclaiming your body reclaiming control over something about you you know if the world feels chaotic sometimes actually you know food it, it's surprising how often food can be the last thing that people do feel that they do have control over and and that can sometimes be why they cling to it because it is 
I mean, could you imagine letting go of the last thing that you have control over in your life? I mean, I, yeah. I certainly can't imagine that being that, that, to that's go of. something again, personal experience, a big, a big part of a big thing that stood in the way of my recovery from my eating disorders in the past has been, I didn't want to stop. Um, I was scared. Like I didn't want to tell people. And a big part of it was because if I tell people they're going to, they're going to make me stop. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, this is yeah. What is it? Was a huge part of me as far as I was concerned. It was, it was one of the biggest things that I had control of, and I felt like I knew more about than other people did. So it was like, a, it was just this huge part of me. Um. So yeah, I, I resonate with that. No, absolutely, and sort of bouncing off that as well. This is, I'm really quite. I'm finding your personal experience quite useful here, actually, because that's kind of of another point is it, it can sometimes be quite dangerous actually to to work on um you know when you come to supporting somebody that sometimes this might be the the only thing that's kind of keeping them going it might be the almost the final coping strategy they have and if it's related to thoughts of things like suicide or, or self-harm th this sometimes might be almost the um the last line of defense if that's the right way to put it just to, to something more it could be the one thing that's just keeping them going and that could be a very difficult thing when you're supporting someone because it's almost like you want to work to try and get rid of these 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 struggles that they're having but actually in, in a way they're they're kind of keeping them going through everything and, and that's why this can get quite quite complicated and it's obviously important to make sure we're, we're treating people with the right level of diligence i suppose in this because mm. it can be quite serious stuff um but it's not, or I, I'm sort of realizing I was, I'm talking a lot about weight management there as well. And it does almost kind of go the other way. So I'm going to use the term like binge eating because, yeah. you know, binge eating disorder is a thing, but I'm I'm not sort of categorizing it as like the, the diagnosable condition, but um, it can also be, it can also sort of manifest as like a comfort response as well. So um, it, again, going back to the evolutionary aspect, I suppose, um, as humans we we get a very innate kind of level of pleasure from basically two things in life and that's food and sex and and that kind of links us straight back to those survival mechanisms so in terms of eating that concept of just binge eating can become a way to kind of create that pleasurable response you get in those sort of neurochemicals you get in the, the you know the, the right level of your body chemistry that's going to make you feel good um and when you're kind of living in a perpetual state of defense, your body doesn't kind of see the parameters to be able to create that feeling in you. It, it's not a, it's not a required response. Your body is more focused on keeping you alive than it is to making you feel happy or, or secure. And that's where, for example, like eating for comfort can be a, a massive thing with this as well. It's not always just the, the control. And again, to just use a buzzword, like the more anorexia kind of side of things, it does go, go the other way as well sometimes so it can be a, a whole mix of responses really yeah um, well in, in my in my personal experience i've kind of transitioned through because i started off with more kind of anorexia tendencies um and then i've i kind of moved through bulimia and now now i'm i'm definitely the kind of binge eating disorder-esque symptoms of of you know like emotional eating and and yeah having those binge episodes like uncontrollable binge episodes um so yeah I, I can i can see how that back in i have experience of both sides so yeah i understand how both of them can be something that people use as a coping mechanism yeah it, it's kind of and, it, and it's certainly not one or the other as well there's like a, a again perhaps the wrong word to use but there is a spectrum there's a there's a gradient here and yeah it, it's just unique for every single person but i i think in answer to your question though yeah it 
I suppose yes is the short answer. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, yes to um, past trauma can cause these issues with disordered eating. So yeah. Um, so uh, we, we touched on the first one. My other one that I mentioned was the kind of addictive slash compulsive behaviours. Um, do, do, do you think trauma can cause them? And, and kind of going to go into a little bit of detail about how? Of course. So short answer, yes. Um, basically for everything I literally just mentioned, um, it, it's, it's quite, it's something I find quite interesting and I appreciate from like a practical aspect with mental health, everybody experiencing these struggles has a unique situation and it, it is different for each person. So I, I don't want to um, devalue that by any means of what I'm about to say, but when you sort of strip it back to like the theoretical kind of process, particularly around like trauma, it, it's interesting how many kind of like underlying themes kind of come out in our psychology that all interlink. So again, in terms of that addictive or, or sort of compulsive behavior, um, it, it could be kind of like a lot about, um, you know, struggling with feeling that control, that idea of um, kind of almost distracting ourselves as well. Um, you know, like throwing yourself into sport or exercise to achieve like that perfect body can be a distraction or, or as we mentioned earlier that kind of trying to build yourself up to be to, to survive to, to defend yourself um and when it comes to kind of like addiction it, it it can be about kind of like suppressing those emotions as well so it's they're incredibly difficult emotions you, you're faced with this kind of a lesson that i was saying earlier that something terrible can happen to you and the only thing you've learned from it is there's no way to stop it you, yeah. you're almost going to want to break from that if you're stuck with it and, and that's where sort of like you know again i'm using like alcohol and drugs as an, an addiction example but i appreciate it goes wider than that um yeah. but that's where kind of like just using that to like numb yourself to to just give yourself that switch off mm -hmm. um to be honest if, if if i'm being quite honest it, it the, the sort of the concepts of our mental struggles um, particularly around this as well is it's just it's kind of a result of us being a poor design as human beings like pretty much every every scenario that we struggle in especially with trauma is it's our body trying to protect us it's doing its job but it's just a system that's basically not without its faults unfortunately yeah um having said that though i you know i don't want to take anyone's hope of recovery that's not you you know you're stuck with this kind of thing it, it, that's not what i mean at all yeah um because you know engaging with support engaging with you know trained professionals it does work it usually relates to you know the actual treatment of trauma is a lot of kind of going back through the events and almost kind of reprocessing them in a safer kind of way that allows you to give that context to move on mm. having said that i can't stress enough how much actually doing that with a professional is important um because yeah. this can be quite distressing stuff of course as well slightly off topic there but but yeah yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, well i i, I agree because as i as i mentioned earlier a big like issue in my childhood is that the fact that my dad struggled with alcoholism and he is he actually um funnily enough it was um what day is it today is it it's friday today isn't it so yes it is so on on sun the sunday just gone was my dad's um 10th birthday of sobriety so he hasn't drank for oh, 10 years nice. last Sunday. So I can say that uh, people, you know, no matter kind of, you know, my dad was in a very messed up position with his alcoholism and he's, and he is now fine. So, um, and you know, <laughs> similar with me, like, you know, I, I still, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a hundred percent, but you know, I was in, I've gone to some serious depths with my disordered eating and um, muscle dysmorphia, compulsive exercise, you know, to the point where I was suicidal and I am now like, 
you know, touch wood, I'm, I'm much better. <laughs> and yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. So it is, it is definitely possible. Um, no matter how kind of deep you think you're in it. Absolutely. So moving on from there. Um, so disordered, disordered eating, um, in particular is actually, is really like highly prevalent in athletes. Um, there's mm-hmm. research that have come, has come out of Australia and out of Sweden, um, quite relatively recently or over the past couple of years that has actually shown up to 50% of elite athletes have experienced wow. disordered eating at some stage. Um, there's obviously other factors at play, but do you think that, I mean, we kind of already answered this to a point, but do you think that past, past trauma could have accounted to this um, specifically in athletes and, and with, with those athletes or exercisers who are listening, who, who, are, who have or are struggling with disordered eating, how, how can they find out if this is the case? Is there a way to find out? Very good question um, as well. So again, sort of the short answer to that is basically yes this can impact anybody you know it's it's something that's relevant to everyone um to to embellish that a little bit i suppose it's it's linked back to just those concepts of those underlying themes um you know compulsive exercise it can be about sort of that control controlling your body image that weight as a way to reclaim your body um and like i was saying it, it can sort of almost be that addictive behavior that you're just throwing yourself in to try and try and block out those those negative kind of feelings and it, it you know it it can also almost be seen as like a, a benefit to your mental health as well like i know exercise is, is a fine line to walk when you work with eating disorders but sort of in general it is a fantastic way to help your mental health mm-hmm. and in terms of you know it again it's those chemical releases that sort of thing um but there is a point where it can become you know people are just almost kind kind of using it as a way to to cope to a point where it's impacting their lives in a negative way mm-hmm. um and also again it's like it's not unheard of for those for people to kind of use it as like a way to be you know in a better position to physically defend themselves you know there's a there's a reason why people go to self-defense classes and things like that it, it's it's just about that kind of trying to find you know i've learned that there's nothing i could do about this but if i go and learn how to kickbox or i get really strong or i get really fast i'll be able to perform better on in that kind of situation so appreciate i'm sort of repeating myself there but it, it is that it, we're back to those kind of like underlying themes um in terms of actually identifying this as a case uh, or this is the case for for anybody listening um i i would say there's there's, there's not really kind of like a one-size-fits-all um but the only way i would probably advise is to just try and work towards sort of that personal honesty to accept that you're struggling now i know that's not an easy thing to do and i'm not trying to say that anybody should do that alone um i mean if you can fantastic that's brilliant but it's you know i'd always say to do this in kind of like a supportive place with a professional um you know such as a counselor for example um you know if if we connect with our traumatic memories because we are we it's not finished it's not over for us in our kind of minds we can do what's um called like reliving our trauma where we re-experience the event in our memory so vividly and we get all of those responses both mentally and physically within our body as well because our our body does remember trauma just as much as our minds do um we can actually be uh, re-traumatized by experiencing that event so if you you know it can that can be incredibly distressing for people Mm -hmm. um so that's why i always say it's best to do it with somebody like a psychotherapist but one thing i do kind of want to say at this point as well and i'm not trying to i don't want to change the theme of this this discussion but 
um, it's important to know that you you want to find a therapist with adequate training to be able to give you this support because it's serious stuff we're talking about here and you know things like the NHS and other services that's okay to assume they're safe um but there's also kind of like the private psychotherapy side as well there's a lot of private uh, people out there running private practices very similar to my own um but I'm aware that there's there's sort of a an unfortunate because it's not that well regulated there's a number of councillors that literally will just buy a qualification for a weekend course off Groupon and then say they're in you know advertise themselves as a counsellor and, and will start trying to work with people that have had trauma it, it does happen I've, I've heard from people that have experienced very negative counseling experiences because they've had somebody inexperienced to work with this um so all i would say is just don't feel ashamed if you want to kind of grill whoever you see a little bit to just to make sure that they are qualified to work with the level of struggle you are experiencing it's i i only say this kind of like for for your own personal just well-being um I mean, it, to give a an actual sort of thing to look out for the level of, you know, um, training qualification, I would probably recommend is at least a postgraduate diploma with like further training specifically in trauma. Um, but there are alternative qualifications out there as well. I'm not going to get into it here because it's not the point of what we're talking about today. Um, and I don't want to devalue anybody that is still as experienced but don't have those particular certificates. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sorry, a little bit off topic, but no, it's, I, think, it's I, think it's a, I think I think that's a good point, and I think um, in regards to you know, it might feel a bit awkward quizzing people, but I think I think it's it's worth the awkwardness and possibly offending said counsellor to make mm-hmm. sure you don't get someone who isn't experienced or you know, because like like you say, you know, there may be people out there who don't have that qualification, but if you quiz them, you realise actually they have several years' experience in doing it or whatever. Um, and then mm-hmm. they may, you know, they may be more of a fit for you. But, um, you know, it, yeah, I think I just think I think quizzing quizzing them is definitely something that you should do. It's the same. It's the same way with kind of, I think anyone that you're working with, like a coach or a PT or anything like that. You think you should always. It's worth questioning them before you give them your money and your time. Mm, um, absolutely, especially with I, I think mental health. It, it, it's just that point you made about risking offending them I, I i personally would be of the opinion that if they get offended i, I this is just me i i hasten to add that but i probably wouldn't want to work with a counselor that would be offended by me asking that question That's i've been awesome. asked it before i mean i'm 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 leave, i'm i suppose i'm the uh below the average age of a counselor nobody looks at me and goes all right he's a he's a therapist and I, i'm i'm 25 and i've genuinely had a client saying you're quite young can I just ask, you know, what's your qualifications? And I told him and I was fine about it. You know, it's, it's a bit intense. Don't get me wrong. So please do be nice to them. But at the same point, it's, it, you know, they, they should be, I, I was almost proud to be able to say, Oh, I've got this, that and the other, I've got this experience and, and sort of put the client at ease really, I guess. And we ended up doing some great work together, but so yeah, they, it, it almost should be something they're kind of quite okay with doing really that I suppose being able to respond to that sort of level of honesty what is what makes a good therapist so that would be probably my first red flag if I'm honest if they did get offended yeah that's a very good point yeah so I suppose that's tip number one is is do do quiz them (laughs) on their education and see how they react (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's I mean to be fair fair play to the guy that did it to me I I I do I do get it yeah yeah um so uh, another kind of another question leading on from from that um so we kind of we've kind of touched on the disordered eating within athletes um, or within exercises. Um, something else that's that's kind of common in 
the sport and I personally believe the kind of fitness community is compulsive exercise and excessive exercise. So just for the, the listeners, the kind of the defining factor of, of compulsive exercise is the idea that there's, there's kind of a, it's what's called a negative reinforcement reinforcer. So um, rather than you you keep doing exercise because you're getting something good out of it, you you feel like you need to exercise in case something bad happens when you don't. And the amount mm-hmm. of times I have conversations with people who say, "Oh, I can't miss the gym because then I'll I'll get smaller," or "I can't miss the gym because then then I'll you know I'll put on weight." Um, it, 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 I know I'm not diagnosing people who have done who think like that who to say you have compulsive exercise, but they are kind of you know it's kind of edging towards that kind of behavior so it seems quite a common thing um do you think past experiences um could be the cause of this i suppose i suppose i suppose we kind of answered that previously but um uh, kind of in particular this question is what what are there there certain kinds of experiences that can cause this kind of addictive or compulsive nature in people yes um to be honest it's quite a hard one to answer but I, i i can definitely give examples though that it is that it's that negative re- reinforcer, as you say. It's that sort of lasting cognitive pathway, as I was talking about earlier, that um, somebody might find difficult to cope with. Um, so, you know, compulsive exercise can be quite addictive. Um, it can be, you know, addiction can be a big thing. So, you know, it could be like a dependency on helping them to cope. So, you know, almost in a bit of a blunt way, you actually hide from whatever emotions are are making you know are are being unpleasant I suppose um I don't mean that in a in a cruel way we all do that you know I I mean even I've done it from time from time to time in some way shape or form I I don't blame anybody for doing that life can be a bit of a difficult thing to cope with at times and we all do do that I'm a a, I'm a a strong believer that everyone has some kind of addiction the every I think every everyone has something that they fall back on when when they are feeling uncomfortable um you know whether it is you know some of them are more socially acceptable than others so you know some obviously some people fall back on alcohol and if that's frowned upon but some people mm. fall back on going like doing more work like some people are, are workaholics mm. air quotes um you know and that's that's seen as a good thing because oh they work so hard but you know it's still it's still trying to mask these negative emotions and and you know if the, mm. you know for whatever reason they can't do it you know they their laptop's broken or something you know they could get some negative effect from it um mm. so yeah I'm, I'm a big believer that everyone has one it's just kind of you know some of them are more socially acceptable than others absolutely and to be fair speaking of compulsive exercise that would be a, a, a big thing that actually some people might say you know what you're doing really well if you're I'm like, getting yeah. bigger or, or doing better at a sport or something and it, absolutely and it, you know this this can come from like a a number of different places it could be you know based around like security um within yourself i mean sort of like insecurity you know you've got something to prove um insecurities about yourself just as a person um trying to distract yourself from un, unpleasant events um again trauma being sort of more severe of that or just something particularly unpleasant to feel or remember mm-hmm. um but a, a big theme in this does count does come down to self-worth a lot and you know that that can be sometimes linked into trauma anyway that you know you uh, if you feel that level of guilt as we were talking about earlier that can then lead you to question sort of who you are as a person mm-hmm. what does that say about you kind of thing um 
and it can be sort of almost kind of trying to meet some form of like standard um but you know like a standard either you've set it to yourself or you think that the world needs to set you almost kind of like fit in really um but i mean that's just a few examples like i say it can be a whole host of like possibilities but yeah. that, this is this sort of really encompasses why i believe in like a a person-centered approach or at least incorporating a bit of that into care and support it's just about getting to know that individual as a person um and just understanding their full range of experiences really that i mean i appreciate that's a little bit of a vague answer but that's kind of the that is the nature of this is it, it can come from anywhere but I, I definitely would stand behind those examples though 100 percent, they're definitely things to look out for yeah i think i think kind of you know a big part of the something that's come out of this interview is, is something that i knew already but i think um is the fact that men you know mental health issues in whatever shape or form and a lot of physical things as well, like my master's in nutrition and it's very much the same in nutrition, but it is very individual. We all react to things differently. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everyone has their own little individual um, kind of discrepancies and inputs and outputs and every, everyone you know, sees things differently and perceives things differently. Um, and that, that kind of heightens the importance of seeing someone who, you know, getting professional help if you are struggling. Um, you know, whether it is a, you know, a, a kind of um, private psychotherapist or counsellor, et cetera, um, or if it is NHS, et cetera, I think, you know, it shows the importance of it um, because, you know, because there is just no one size fits all. And if someone tells you there is, then they're either lying or they're wrong. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I do. I think that's kind of a really good take home message from this interview. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I appreciate with like NHS services, there, there's a, a quite a, a significant use of things like cognitive behavioural therapy, which is a bit more prescriptive. But you're dealing with quite a large number of people with limited resources. There, there's there's other factors that do come into play. But in a in an ideal world, really having that kind of person centred approach is 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 the way to go about it. Really, everyone is unique in their experiences, and it's important to understand that. Mm-hmm. Well, this this talk's been really interesting, Rob. And honestly, I, I feel like I've learned some stuff, you know, the whole childhood trauma thing. You know, I've, it's, it's been really interesting for me personally, applying it to myself. And I think that's, that kind of tells me that there's going to be people listening who are also going to get the same response. So thank you so awesome. much. Um, no worries at all. Just to kind of finish off, uh, can you let people who are listening know where they can find you personally so you know social media tags or any websites or anything like that of course so uh i suppose a a number of different ways um i'd say anybody out there that feels they're struggling with their relationship with like food or their exercise patterns and then the charity i work for um it's called first steps ed or first steps eating disorders um is available to provide like a range of support there's lots of great stuff they do they're a fantastic charity they provide loads of different services, not only for people who are struggling, but also kind of like family and friends too, um, available for both adults and children and young people as well. So if you are looking for support with like, you know, eating disorders, associated mental health difficulties, that sort of thing, um, head over to their website. It's literally just firststepcd.co.uk, um, which is the charity I work for. But if you're looking to kind of reach out more personally, if you've got any questions for what I've spoken about today, um then my website is just robsmithpsychotherapy.co.uk you can just google me i'm google that i'm on there um and all my contact information is on there as well so please do feel free to reach out um i'm also on facebook again it's just robsmithpsychotherapy just type type the name in it'll come up 
um and um i do also do like a couple of like youtube videos as well i'm doing like sort of an examining mental health series that's the title of it um it's just kind of like mental health from a psychotherapist perspective so again just anybody interested check that out as well um but yeah i suppose finally i just like to sign off saying thank you very much for everybody listening and also thank you george for having me on here it's been a pleasure and i'm certainly uh, glad to hear that at least you found this useful and i hope there's a lot of other people out there that do well, honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on, Robin. Um, I'll be putting links down to everything um, you've just said, like your websites and stuff below the videos or below the podcast. Um, so people should be able to see it there. Um, but if not, I think your name's quite easy to remember. So <laughs> <they'll> be, <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure they can find it. Um, but yeah, thank you again, Rob. Um, thanks everybody listening as always. Um, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.